0: I want to do is I want to share about a door in our own personal lives that I think that we constantly have to keep open for the Lord and with each other. And this morning I'm going to talk about how the gospel changes our marriages. You know, I've been married 30 years. I'd like to say we've done it all the right way. But can I just make a confession this morning? Y'all looking at me like, yeah, what is it? You know, we haven't been perfect. But I just tell you what, when we haven't, been perfect when we haven't lived up we've always been able to go tracy and i've always had the opportunity just to repent to god and repent to each other amen and so this morning what i want to do is i just want to talk to you about marriage and listen you're going well i'm not married that's okay because you know what, it's not just about your marriage, it's about your relationship with Jesus and how important that is and how, how it helps in every area of our life. So, you know, we, I know we've prayed this morning, we've invited the Holy Spirit, and I just want to take a moment and I just want him to invite him, him here this morning to speak to us, that he would not be a stranger between the aisles, they would literally speak to our hearts and the word of God would become alive in our lives today, amen? Let's just pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you. We've done a lot of praying. We've done a lot of singing. But, Lord, the most important thing is that we just want to come. And, Lord, we want to surrender to you. We know that a changed life happens when we come to that point where we realize we can't do it by ourselves. And we need you to change us from the inside out. So, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts to receive and let us have ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak to us. And help us in the strength in our marriages here in this house. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, one of the things that, you know, we need, I believe that many of us just need sometimes just a fresh vision of what marriage should look like. Amen? me, say vision. You know, I believe that we need a vision for your ma- our marriage. Some of us might need CPR in our marriage. Some of us might just need to, you know, kind of, put the, put, kind of stir the coals in our marriage and let the fire begin to rage again and put a little new wood on it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And instead, of, But what happens is that we can get stale, but you know what? When you begin to have a vision, it provides the purpose for the process of why you're doing what you're doing, and that you remember what attracted you. How many of you know the devil didn't give you the attraction gift? God did. When you saw your future mate, you saw them, and you go, wow, where have they been all my life? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and it's like, I believe this, is that, you know, for me, I heard my wife pray. We were at Bible college. I'd already gotten saved uh, and, and, and I remember I prayed I said God if you bring me a wife if you, I'm not going to do it my way I'm going to trust you and do it your way I'll never tell her I love her Until I ask her to marry me And you know what The day I mean I didn't ask her I didn't tell her I loved her to the day That I asked her to marry me And we, we stayed pure Let me just say this We didn't touch each other We didn't do anything We, we did kiss I'll be honest with you We did come up for air And, but we didn't do all the other stuff because I knew that in my life that I wanted to honor God because I, before that, I I wasn't honoring God. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know any of that, but Tracy had honored God all through her teenage. She wasn't even raised in church, but she met the Lord when she was like in uh, seventh grade and God just began to do a work in her heart and she made a commitment to the Lord. And, but you know, six kids later, we have laid hands on each other. But anyway, just let you know that if, if you don't realize that and, uh, Y'all look at me like with a little smirk. But, uh, you know, and the neat thing is, is that uh, Josh and Lindsay are part of our, uh, just became part when we started the church, and they honored God that way. Pastor Zach and Pastor Claire did the same thing. And, you know, and it's like I just, for me, I believe this, when you make a step, you can open up the door for a generational blessing. And I believe this, if, even if you messed up, even whatever you do. I remember someone told me this week, I was doing marriage counseling, so said, well, what about, you know, is my marriage going to be cursed? I said, no, it's not going to be cursed. The Bible says if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to, clean, to forgive us. And then the, next, the cool thing is to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we don't have to walk around walking around with grave clothes. We can walk around with the grace clothes God gives us and hides our nakedness and our frailties and, and, and our insecurities. Anybody deal with insecurity in here? Anybody deal with frailties? Anybody ever lie in here? How many of you never lied? You raise your hand. You're a liar. But anyway. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about marriage, and, and, and I talk about and I want to clar- clarify some direction for your life. Not only that, I want to invite you. that You know, it, when you invite God to come and be a part of your marriage, you invite unity. Amen? And I mean, you know, that sometimes they agree on anything is a miracle, especially with the person you're married to. And so... It it, it, what happens, it provides the passion, it provides energy, and it comes, it really comes from the heart. So, you know, there was a years a couple of years ago in the 70s and 80s, and they said that, it just came out about a month ago, and they said that, you know, that Christian marriage is only about 50%. It's like the world that only survives. But they begin to go back and look at statistics, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. People that are really Christians and people that go to church, people that really are committed to the Lord, you know what? Their marriages are far greater and stronger than those that aren't. And they said maybe it's really the percentage is pro- more like fifteen to twenty percent when God is a center of that marriage. And so, you know, among churchgoers, it's more likely it's in single digits. And so, eighty percent of marriages are happy, which goes to the show, you know goes against popular belief when your life is centered around Jesus. Amen. When it's centered around you, it's hard to see past the tip of your nose. And so this morning, among the active church people, they say that, you know, it's, it's, the divorce rate is much, much smaller. So now that we should, now that, that for some of us, that should give us hope. I've been, Tracy and I have been married for 30 years. I've learned, I've learned a couple of things in marriage. First of all, that what, the greatest need of a man how many of you know, ladies, how many of you know what the greatest need of a man is? Anybody know what the greatest need Well, oh, I know what the greatest No, it's not what you think. The greatest need of a man is to be respected. Amen. Say it me. Say respected. Amen. Just to be respected. And what's the greatest need of a woman? Love. Come on. Love. No, that's the second one. I'll give it. The greatest need of a woman is to be listened to. They say, I remember looking at a guy one time. And, 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 I, and marriage counselor said, Hey, let me ask you a question. How bad do you want just to be intimate with your future wife? He goes, Oh, past it bad. Real bad. I said, Well, can you wait? Uh, by the grace of God, I'm going to wait. And I said, You know what? If it's that bad for you, imagine that a woman has the same desire. That you have to be intimate with her that she has a desire to be listened to. He goes, whoo, that's strong. Whoo, pastor, that's bad. They said that women speak about 25,000 words a day and a man speaks about 15,000 words a day. And so if you're at work and you're around guys, there's not much words being spoken, Right. So what happens, you know, you might spend your 14,995 words before you get home. And when you open the door, your wife maybe has been there all day waiting for you with children running around. All she said is no and don't don't touch that and all that other stuff. So she's waiting for you to come home. And by the time you've already spent those 14,000 whatever words, and she's waiting with 24,995 words just for you. You go, well, Pastor, that's not fair. It's, it's just the way God made us. And when a woman does that, it's like, it's like a cleansing. It's like she just gets it all out. And I remember when I first got married, I thought I had to fix Tracy. She'd tell me, like, stuff. And I'd go, well, this is what you do. Do one, two, three, four. That's easy. Get it done. And, it, and that wasn't what she wanted. She wanted me to just listen to her and have compassion and have sympathy. And then just let it get it off of her. I mean, come on, women, am I saying the right things? Okay man i'm coming back to you but anyway but the most important thing is you know the world and satan wants us to be hopeless in our marriage and and if you fall into that trap you justified having well you know you know i just believe this is that this only proves that the world's watching us in our marriage especially when you say You know, me and my wife, we made a commitment, we're Christians, we love Jesus, and we want to live a Christ-centered marriage, and then people are watching how you live your life, and especially your relatives. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, you know, I believe that for most of us and for, for all of us, if, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm just going to read a portion of the Scripture, and we're going, to get, we're going to go through the travel channel here on this. And so, as the Scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, again, I say each man must love his wife As he loves himself. Now, let me just stop. Why would God tell a man, he says, love your wives like you love yourself? Because you know why? It's easy for men to love themselves. They just, you know, it's amazing. Men are in love. They can get up in the front of the mirror. It don't matter what you look like, what your pant size is or whatever. You go, yeah. I'm all that. In a bag of big chips. We don't mind loving ourselves. So God says to us, the very thing that's easy for us to do, but it's hard to do with somebody else because we think about ourselves more when we think about others. Come on. He said, love your wives. But he also says this, be willing to lay down your life like Christ laid down his life for the church. God's saying, lay down your life for your wife. What does that mean? then, Guys, when's the last time you died to your desires and laid them down in order to meet a need, a need in your wife's? life. I'll just leave it at that. Let you ponder and put in the crock pot. But it also says right here, it goes into the, and then it says, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, I, I think women easily, listen to me, they sacrifice a lot more, e- a lot easier than men do. How many i mean, I'm talking about? They'll do things for the kids, cook. I mean, my wife is like, I mean, literally, she's like a flash. She's like, she's like super mama, super woman, super wife. I mean, with six kids and all that stuff. I mean, she had a hot meal for my children every morning, except a few mornings. And if they asked for her for a hot meal and she was tired, and she wanted to sleep, in. because she goes, go light your cornflakes on fire. You know, I don't know. And, but they were spoiled. But it was just because she, she did that. And, and it's like for women, it's hard to respect someone when not living in a way that you want to respect them. It's quiet here this morning. Am I in the right place? Is the temperature too cold? Okay. Too warm. But see, what, what Jesus is talking about is that when you think about marriage, you, you've got to see what God compares marriage and, and when you look at Scripture, we're the bride. He's the groom. The Bible says he's coming back for his bride. And I believe that God's coming back for a big bride. I mean, a babushka bride. Okay? I mean, just a big bride. Because he's, he's waiting. He's waiting. And he wants us to prepare our hearts as a church. And you look know, throughout the Scripture, and it talks about marriage. And, and right here, I believe that he's given an illustration. It's a mystery of, of you know marriage, is that Jesus wants to be one with you, just like he wants you to be one with your mates. And see, what happens is God brings two people from two different worlds, and they come together, and they have the little like, hey, I like you. Yeah, you look good. And then all of a sudden, hey, let's, let's get married. You go, yeah, let's get married. But we don't know all the other stuff. Come on. The baggage we didn't leave behind. We bring that into our marriage. And sometimes it's very dysfunctional things about our other family or our, our families that we bring in. And then all of a sudden you got two worlds colliding and it's called marriage. And it's like all of a sudden what happens is you become not just, bo- not just one in body. But you become one in body, soul, and spirit. You know, and the incredible thing is, is that, you know, instead of being like a rough rock, what marriage does, it knocks off the rough edges in our life. it should be. It should. How many of you have had a few rough edges knocked off of your life through your marriage? How many of you don't want to raise your hand for anything I ask about marriage because you're scared your mate's going to say something to you after? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. But see, what happens is he loves you and he wants you to love him. How? Through marriage. It'll teach you, and it's an illustration of what you should be doing with the Lord. I should be in the Lord. I should be loving God the way he wants me to, laying down my life. I should respect the things of God. I should honor God. God, in my way of my life, and my choices, and my decisions. Now listen to me. Just because you haven't made every decision that might be pleasing to God. You know what? The thing I love is that God says this. And you know, if you've messed up. He said, he said all you have to do is ask. Ask for forgiveness. It means repentance. Jesus said, you know, if you say you have no sin and the truth is not in you, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. But if we confess our sins. The Bible says he's faithful, he's just to forgive us, but I love this part, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we're washed. When God looks at us, he didn't see that. He sees the blood applied to our lives and our marriage. And see, you know, so what happens is, you know, it's like what happens, don't fall to pray to religion, don't fall prey to rules and sacrifice and service. You are the Lord, the Lord loves you. And sometimes we get a call, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get religion. God's not interested in you getting religion. God's interested about you getting right and getting real and having a relationship with him because there's a the difference between religion and a personal, intimate love relationship with God. Because religion is about all the do's and don'ts, and the relationship is all the things I get to do, all the things that I get to enjoy, the benefits that are there through relationship. And so, marriage. I want to talk about three things this morning in marriage. But before I do, look at Acts chapter eighteen. It just says this: and Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And let me just stop right there. And now, Corinth is a wicked city. And, and the, way, the only way I can decide if you you can go back and look at it, and you're, if you want to study, but the way they would do it, their god that they would worship, they would come out, and it was kind of like an animal house. Literally, they would have. They would have every night. They would have a thousand different prostitutes that would come out, and they would have sex with prostitutes. And that's the way they worship God. I mean, that's like a wicked city. Okay, not just female prostitutes, but male prostitutes. So we're talking like we think things. We think San Francisco's bad. This is no, that's nothing compared to what they were doing there. And so what happens is There here's this city. And Paul comes to this city. And he left Athens and he went to Corinth and he became acquainted with a few Jews named Aquila, born in Pontus. And he was recently arrived in Italy with his wife Priscilla, and they had. They, they had left Italy with Claudius Caesar. He deported all the Jews from Rome, and Paul lived and worked with them, and they were tent makers as he was. So they all had the same trade. So Paul arrives there, and his ministry he sees ministry opportunities. I make tents. These Jews have come. I can be able to preach the gospel because they're nomads. They have no place to go, no place to, you know, they need a home. They need a place. So if no one has a home, if, if, if people begin to move to Jennings, we might not have enough homes. So that means that homes would have to get built. And so what they would do, they were doing temporary shelter and Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers by trade and they had just recently, so they both had recently arrived and what happens, the Bible doesn't say if Aquila and Priscilla were believers or not, but one thing is clear. If they had Paul living in their house, they soon became believers. And so they soon became part of Paul's ministry. And here's the three things the gospel does in your marriage. Let me just say what they are. Number one, the gospel it creates a togetherness. Let me see. The world, the enemy, selfishness tries to create havoc in your life. Because, see, the, the, the Lord knows there's power when you come in togetherness, unity. The Bible says they went to the upper room and they prayed. And the place where they gathered to pray was shaken. I believe this. We shake the world and things around us. And when we become together as one in marriage, there's a united front You see, it creates togetherness. Ephesians says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It means walk in harmony. It's the key component to submission. How many of you know, let me ask some. how many of you know that sometimes it's just hard to agree with everything your mate wants to do? Come on, let's be honest. Come on, anybody? Like, you always together. Okay. How many of you sometimes have to work it out. How I many of you know that sometimes in marriage. There's this one word that we don't like using. It's called compromise. Sometimes I've had to admit. My wife had much better ideas than I did. Now listen to me. I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to deal with it. But I walked away and go. She's smarter than me. And by the way. She is smarter than me. But the incredible thing is. When I see that. You know it's like. Surrender, I mean, what it was talking about right there, submit means surrender. I've got to constantly be surrendering to God and surrendering to my desires and my wills and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Togetherness is something you have to constantly work at. It just doesn't come natural. You see, we need to learn when and how and where, what this. And, and, to say things to one another. I know that there's sometimes, listen, there's, th- there's times that I don't need to be saying something in moments in my wife's life. There's just some things that you don't need to be saying. Some things I don't need to be doing. And sometimes, or how I do something, or when I do something. It's all about timing. Hello? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's the same way with your husband. It's all about time. When he comes in for work, it's not time to tell him they got a sell and, you know, for such and such. It's just time to give him a little and then talk about it. It's not time to go, baby, we're going to Hawaii, but when are we leaving tomorrow? Well, you didn't give me time. I want to go, but my gosh, I got five kids. Have you thought about that? No, we're going. You see, wives, you have, you have a voice. You do. You have a voice. Maybe you just need to learn how and when to use that voice. And and, and guys, husbands, you have a God-given responsibility, a right to lead. Lead in a way that she'll follow. You know, I hate hate this. I'm just going to say it. Okay? I hate the mentality that sometimes we have in the South. Is men about women. Oh, yeah? I remember, I remember in my, ninth, my freshman year at Our Lady of Fatima in Lafayette, I had a, a teacher named Ms. Zinner. And I'd, con- I'd gone hunting that morning before I went to school and had ducks in my truck. And I remember, I, I, and she's going, you know, and, and she, my brother and I were like that. And so she'd go. We were talking about one day. I don't know how we got it in history class. We were talking about marriage. I said, hey, let me tell you something, Ms. Zinner. When I get married one day, My wife's going to clean my ducks. She's going to cook my ducks. And she's going to do everything I tell her to do. And I never, she goes, oh, Bubba McCann, you got a long way, baby. She probably went, that cool, y'all. He don't know what he's talking about. And listen, she don't clean my ducks. She does cook them, but she don't clean them. You know, after the first time I asked her to, I tried to get the feathers out of my mouth. I couldn't speak for about a week. No, I'm just. That didn't happen. But guys, it's the way we lead. Do they have a desire to follow? It's not being a tyrant. Back foot in the kitchen. A woman wants to submit to a husband that's leading her right. That's loving her right. Laying down his life the way that we should. You see, Acts tells us that we, when, we, when they work together, Priscilla and, and, and Aquila, they, they work together. Wow, some of us can't even go on a trip and even ride together in the same car on vacation. Thank God for GPS. Because I remember I used to get in fights with her about the map. And she was like, why didn't you make a plan? I go, well, you got the map. Is if I'd have been taking the map out and just made the plan, and that's what I think. I thank God for GPS, so we can both get mad at GPS if it brings us to the wrong place. But it's like sometimes we can't even travel together and not agree on something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, the only way we experience togetherness is when we submit and surrender to one another and to Christ. That it's got to be centered on Christ. Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done in my life, in my marriage, with my children. You see... Your marriage is a painting of your relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. It's a canvas. It's a painting. Can the world see Jesus in your painting, in your marriage? Can they see it? Is it, cre- is it clear? The second thing, it puts God, when you have a, God, a God-centered marriage, it, it puts God at the center. Ephesians says, carefully determine... Ephesians 5.10, determine what pleases God. I choose, you know, if I choose to walk in the light, I can't justify or make excuses for decisions that I make. What do you mean? Listen, own up to your bad decisions. Own up to your lifestyle. Own up to your choices. Own up. Be honest. Be real. Be accountable. You see, I can't, you know... When we, when we both agree to do what pleases God, God then can, you know what? Then, then we can please each other. I, I've learned this. When, when I allow God to shine his light on my heart, he reveals things. And my wife doesn't have to tell me. She doesn't feel the responsibility. You, know, you need to change that. All right, baby, you need to, honey, you need to do this. See, when you come and you have a personal, intimate relationship with God, you can come into God's presence. You know, God, What is it? I'm seeing these things. I feel these things. I feel these urges. I feel these things that are going on in my life. I've messed up, but I want to change. God, show me. And see, listen to me. Sometimes you have to ask God questions. Hello. Sometimes we get so busy in life, we don't stop and just look around sometimes. We don't leave margin in our life. That well, means time, space. It's coming to that point where we go, God, I want to leave margin so you can speak to me. That I can be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a, me- a, better-, a better wife. That I leave that margin. You know, it's like, it's, it's, how many of you know that life has a fast pace nowadays? Come on. We're going, going, going. And we don't even see things around us sometimes. I believe that's what happened to Moses. Josh was talking about it. I've been studying the life of Moses. I mean, he was going, going. He was shepherding. He, didn't, he was looking for his identity. And all of a sudden, what did he have to do? He had to turn and look to the bush. And the bush spoke to him. Sometimes we just got to take the time to stop and look. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you just stopped and looked at the clouds? When's the last time you just stopped? And looked at things around you. That's why I look. I don't golf. I hunt and I fish. Okay, the thing I love about hunting—I mean, it's part of our heritage in South Louisiana. But one of the things I love—I love getting up early in the morning and looking at the the sun sun you know sunrise. The teal flying over the horizon, coming my way. Women, you might like to get up early in the morning and drive to Lafayette. The sun's rising because that sail's coming. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, there's just something about it. You say, why do you say all that, Pastor? Because, you know, what, guys, look at me. God made every one of us. All of us have desires. L- let me ask you a question. How many of you want a great marriage? Come on. And if you're sitting next to your mate, you may to raise your hand. You want a great marriage. How many of you want to just settle for okay? Anybody in here? I mean, I want a great marriage, better than the movie show. Because see, in the movies, in Hollywood, that's all fake anyway. Because when you see them, they, they, they can't stay married longer than 18 months, some of them. some was it, three days, one of them, they spent a couple million dollars, and you go, what's up with that? Because it's all show, and it's no go. It's kind of like a car. You see, I can't count the times and the nights that I've stayed up telling God to straighten out my wife. <laughs> in the end, before going to bed, God's speaking to me. And he's, and he's showing me things in my life. How to lead, how to love better, how not to allow to be too sensitive or insecure. You see, to have a God-centered relationship, we have to live this life together and it has to be around Him. You see, where we are constantly go to Him is when is if we're constantly going to Him, that's what we need, guys. Well, you use God for a crutch. Well, listen to me tell you something. He's more than a crutch, He's my rock. Because when the storms of life come, He's there. It reminds me of the story where the guy's coming out and they, they, this boat goes down. They can't find him. They're looking. They, they send out a rescue ship to find them. And they go, hey, what's, what's up? And, and the guy gets a, uh, you know, they're looking. Man, there's no one. They see some jagged rocks out in the middle of the o- ocean. And they go, hey, what's that out there? Let's get a little closer. And they get a little closer. And they go, it looks like a man holding on to a rock. And they come and they literally have to peel this guy off the rock. And they look at him and go, hey, man. What happened? He goes, man, I was just sitting in my bunk, and all of a sudden we got in a storm, and, and, and man, the, the boat just began to break apart, and I can't, I can't really swim. I grabbed the log, and this log ran into these rocks, and I began to hold on to the rock, and when the, when the wind started blowing, and it wanted to blow me up, I held a little tighter to the rock. When the waves were hitting me, I just held a little tighter to the rock, and when the rain started beating on my back, I just held, the hard, I just held on to the rock. He said, because you know what? In the storm, the rock never moved. In our marriage, it's like that rock. We go through storms. We go through difficulties. We face things. Come on. That's why making up is so good. It is. I love making up. It's one of my favorite things to do in marriage. I don't like the process of saying, will you forgive me? But I like the part of, The grace part. Remember, Jesus is the Savior. You're not. You're not. He's the one who can save you out of your mess. He is. Can you go to God before you go to your spouse? Or let me, here's a better question. Do you go to God before you go to your spouse? I've had people spew things. Well, Pastor Bubba, you know that woman that God put in my life, gave me? Go, Can I bring her back in? No, no trade-ins. I said, well, I've, I've had guys just getting mad. And I, I think it's nothing about their wife. It's really all about them. I remember I had a woman one time. She wanted to get back to her husband. She was making him mad, so she decided to leave. And, he, and in the pride of man, he goes, well, I don't want to be with you anymore. And he left her. And it can never be repaired. How many of you know pride makes you do stupid things? The third and final thing is a Christ-centered marriage. It demands commitment. You see, in Acts, meanwhile, in Acts, chapter 20, uh, Acts 18, verse 24, 26. Are y'all following me? And he says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus in, in, from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord. And I just want to say, Apollos had come, and Alexandria was the second largest city in all the Roman Empire, and had the third of the Jews, of all the Jews in that nation lived there. And, here he, comes. and he had been taught the way of the Lord. And he taught others about Jesus with, enthusiastic, with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. He knew about repentance. He didn't know about giving his life to the Lord, trusting him, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of the Lord the way of God, even more accurately. Aquila and Priscilla were committed to the gospel. They knew exactly, They knew it exactly and accurately, and they taught him. They gave, they gave up their home for the use of the gospel. And they carefully, you see, what they did is they carefully came to Apollo. And I love it. It said didn't stop the meeting, didn't stop the preaching. They just carefully came to him and said, hey, can I just tell you something? And sometimes, look at me. I, I, want, you, I want to see the whites of your eyes. Sometimes if you don't have people in your life that can come along and just say, hey, can I just help you a little bit in your marriage? Or if you have an issue in your marriage, hey, I'm going, some, I'm going to speak to this person. You know, all of us need people that we can call, that bring fear. in their uh, wives, every one of you need to have someone that you can call that your husband is afraid to be able to talk to. I'm calling Pastor Bubba. No, I'll I, I, I repent. Don't call Pastor Bubba. I'm calling Pastor John. No, don't call Pastor John. I'll, I'll do it. You need that Trump card. Men, I'm calling, you know, Missy Lindsay. No, oh, don't call Miss Lindsay I'll, I'll do it, all right? No, it's you go, you know what? We're going to the Lord. Because God has to show us things. We're not being accurate in this. We're not on the right path. I need we need to come. Together, Our commitment to each other is strengthened by our commitment to the gospel, to God. Listen, this gospel, this book right here is a love letter. It's really a letter to us. It's about a relationship between a father and a son. That's what it's about. It's a, it's a life manual. It teaches you how to be a good husband. It teaches you how to be a good wife, a good citizen, how to pay your taxes, how to make right decisions. This book is filled with wisdom. It gives direction. It teaches you how to be a good mama and a good daddy, things that you need to avoid, things you need to keep away from, privileges and promises that God gives us. It's not just about what we don't get. It's the the things that we do get to enjoy, the things that God gives us. You know, because I believe this. When, it's kind of like the old Zambian proverb. It says, when you, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. See, I don't want to be just fast. How many of you want to go the long haul? You know, I don't, I don't ever want my marriage to be this. Well, the first 30 years was great, but the last, shh, I should have traded it in. You know, we learned a couple weeks ago that we need to commit ourselves to bring the lost world, the gospel, and our lives will be more beautiful. It says, remember, I said, blessed are the feet of them that bring good news. That you are blessed. You have beautiful feet. No not matter what your feet look like. If you're sharing with people about the love of God and what God can do in their lives, your feet are beautiful. But see, Proverbs says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed What what does the Lord think? We need to ask Him, continue. God, what do you think about this? God, what do you think about this decision I'm making? When's the last time you asked for God's advice? And some of us go, I didn't know. I mean, God's so busy. I mean, you know, He's big. He's busy. It's amazing that God can know everything about all of us at the same time. He knows men. He knows how many hair follicles you have or how little you have now. He knows, the Bible says his thoughts towards us are like the grains of sand. What does he think? God, what do you think? Psalm says it like this it says, Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust Him. And he will help you. The King James Version, New King James says, and he will bring it to pass. Commit means to roll. That means rolling. You keep rolling your questions, your concerns, your problems on the Lord every day in, in the way which you should go. And, and, you know, he'll make your path real clear. See, marriage is not about having a problem with your mate. It's a dependence problem or you're depending on God. Hello. Because sometimes, listen, you know, I believe this. There's only one way out of marriage. Okay, it's death. I've never told my wife. I never wanted, I never told the word. I've never said the word divorce to my wife. I don't want. I never said that. Now, doesn't think I hadn't thought about murder. Y'all got that on tape? Okay. My pastor said he wanted to, no. There's times. Can, let's just be real. Come on. Can I, I've been trying to be real all service. But can I just be a little more real? Listen. Sometimes marriage is hard. Hello. Any, I didn't get many amens on that. But sometimes it's wonderful. But other times it just takes work. It means sacrifice, submission, coming together, forgiveness. Because, see, the second need of a woman, guys, is to be loved, like Miss Jean said a while ago. They want to be loved. Not just with words, baby, I love you. Remember, I mean, when you were young, you were, baby, I love you, if. We had conditions on it. That I love you and that we show it through our actions that we love them. Hello. The second need of a man is, you know what, it's not just to be respected, but to be admired. Do you admire your man? And see, the last one for women is this. They love to be surprised. Now, you don't go around the corner and go, hey, baby, ah! (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. When's the last time you surprised them and you... You want to take them out on a date, or you get the kids the babysitter, you do, you take care of everything. You have a plan for them. And they just like blown away and they feel special. They feel loved, they feel secure. Because you know every woman, they already listen, every woman wants to feel safe, secure, and successful. And through our leadership or lack of it, we either do it or we don't. And the last thing that a man wants and needs are just three is to be desired. To be desired. What does that mean? He just wants you to know. He just wants to know you still want him. That's all he wants. So this morning, I've traveled a lot of places, but Aquila and Priscilla lived together. They worked together. They were in ministry together. And their marriage is a reflection of a relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. It's just a reflection. See, the gospel impacted marriage. You know what it does? When your marriage is centered around Jesus and the gospel, it impacts the world around you. How can they be that much in love? How long have they been married? Listen, when I get to be where I can barely walk, okay, and we're going to the mall, me and Miss Tracy, probably chasing our great grandkids, let me tell you something. Somebody go, what's that old man? He rubbing his wife's booty. That's sick, old oh, man. That's right. I'm sick in love. I want that. Look at me. You know why I want that? Because I know the devastation of a broken home. I'm a, ch- I'm a product of a child that walked through a broken home, and it was just two worlds that came together and there was dysfunction there. I don't blame my mom and dad. They had their own thing, but it wasn't Christ-centered. Hello? And why do we go? And I don't blame if you come from, you know, you're in a second marriage or a third marriage. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to say, you know what, change. Allow God to take all that dysfunction and give it to Him. And you know, no matter if you were a child of that problem, whatever. And you just go, God, I forgive them, but I want, I want you to help me. I need help. If you're single, hold out for the God's best. Trust God. Don't take any woman that just walks in. Don't take any guy that just walks in and just says, I'm a Christian. Listen, watch them for a while. Hang out with them for a while. Hello. It might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. I had a guy the other day came up to me and (laughs) I was in Crowley the other day, last weekend, and the guy goes, you know what, I've got this such and such ministry and I got this and I can't wait to help y'all's church out. I'm like, whew, that's like meeting a bad woman. You know what I mean? You just go like cheesy and sleazy. The Bible says this, the spirit of man knows the spirit of man. The eyes are the window of the soul. Look in the eyes. See, what you need, we need to be doing is we need to be looking in the eyes of Jesus and say, Lord, give us Jesus' contact lenses, and so we don't become cynical and critical toward people. I'm not saying that because I'm cynical toward I'm just scared because I was a little. I felt something in me go, ooh, we don't need your ministry. We want Jesus' ministry around here. Amen? And so for each of us today, my greatest desire and our church desire, we want to have strong marriages. Because strong marriages means great kids. And you know what happens when you have great kids? Great things happen. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. If you're married, I want you to hold your mate's hand. Come on up, baby. I just want you. And if they're not here, just picture yourself holding their hand. And I want to do something just a little bit different before we leave this morning. Is that all right? I want you to turn and face your mate. Turn and face them. Okay? If they're not here, that's all right. Just, but if you are, turn, all the other singles, if your mate's not here, just, thank God I'm going to do this. And I want you to look at them. And the first thing I want you to do is I just want you to say this to him. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Say, I'm committed to walk together with you. Just look at him. Say, I'm committed to walk together with you. I want you to tell me that I'm going to put Jesus at the center of our marriage. Look at him. Tell him that. Put Jesus at the center. You look at him and say, I'm committed. I'm, I'm committed. I'm committed to love you, to watch over you, to help you. I'm committed. I'm committed to God first. I'm committed to you. I want you to do this. I want you to tell him this. I love you. Just look at him and say, I love you. Come on, I can see it. I can see the love is in the air. You can give them a smooch too. It's all right in church to kiss your wife, your husband. Come on. Mm. Mm. Father, we thank you that the world and the enemy comes after marriages. Where we see how even in our society, they, they, they corrupt what you've... They're trying to make something that you never intended. And we know that a marriage between a man and a woman is what you intended all along. Because fruit only comes out of that. Birth only comes out of what is natural. And Father, today I pray, I pray a hedge of protection over every marriage in this house. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we look to you, we commit everything to you. We trust you. And that, God, if we commit to you and we trust you, that means you're going to help us. And, Lord, we come to you and we say, we need help. We need help. I need help. We need help to be the right person for the right and perfect mate that you gave us. And so, Lord, from this day forward, I pray that we would come to that point where we would depend upon you, and we would put you at the very center of our marriage. And we just thank you for that. In the name of Jesus. Amen.